A new metro station is under consideration for Fulton Market. The city has set a hearing on the idea of a transit hub that could ease the commute for workers in the fast-growing business district. And I'll talk with Cranes reporter Ali Maradi about the blessing and curse for local businesses that is social video platform TikTok. It's hard because there's this whole new influx of customers. They're maybe using their parents' credit cards to reserve a, a spot, you know, and then canceling at the last minute because their parents didn't know about it. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, September 28th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. I'm joined now by Cranes reporter Ali Marathi. So, Ali, you've been reporting on local businesses using TikTok, which I think is so interesting because anytime there's like a new platform, it's it's always kind of inspiring to see how people are being creative with it and interesting to see how businesses kind of put it to work for them. But what have you seen and learned in, in this reporting? Yeah, so it's interesting. You know, it can be kind of like striking gold for a small business because they can do one video and it can take off and get a million views and send a ton of people through their doors or, you know, to their website to buy their product. But it's kind of feast or famine. You know, some videos won't take off like that. It's really hard to tell how or when that's going to happen. So it becomes a bit of a problem or a conundrum for these small business owners to figure out, you know, when do I hire more people? When do I extend my business hours? Because if it just becomes, you know, a bust from a boom, they're just left with the cost of that. Right. So if they have this viral video, it drives a bunch of traffic to their, say, their e-commerce site. Do they staff up or do they just kind of let this one video ride? Exactly. And is it mostly retailers or, or are you seeing use just across all businesses? So one of my friends actually keyed me into this phenomenon because she went to a hair salon and noticed that they were really hard to get into. And, you know, it was just super busy. And there were a bunch of younger people in there with bright hair with their parents. So she was like, hey, you should look into this. And I reached out to the hair salon. It's the one I quoted in my story. They, they didn't have just one video that kind of went viral, if you will. They've had just a really big showing from multiple videos and the presence they've created on TikTok. They've got people coming in from out of state. I think part of the reason is because, you know, they do a lot of the shag cuts with the vivid, bright colors. And that's very trendy on TikTok right now. There's a um, restaurant downtown, Jojo Shake Bar. They have the big over-the-top milkshakes that you can get. Oh, yeah. And I think that draws a lot of people. But it's not always just because of one trendy item. You know, it could be just across the spectrum. And then there's a lot of people that, uh, I think JoJo's especially, you see those all over Instagram and TikTok of customers posting. Yeah. But hair salons are interesting because I think there's a very specific format that hair salons use for their TikTok videos. It's like the before, and then they kind of flip the cape and then, then like, that's the reveal. That's their, you know, that's their edit. And then it's the after and you show this, you know, they spin the chair and show this very glamorous or cool, you know, colorful hairdo. Hair salon TikTok is definitely a thing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, she was telling me, too, that it's the demos, it's the the transformations, but also just they do like intros to the stylist and they get to know them. And she said, 
it's been good, right? Obviously, it's the dream of a small business to get this huge bump of people without paying anything because TikTok's free, you know? And she's seen the good it can do because she's seen a lot of people, a lot of, you know, younger folks that maybe are coming in. They see something in a stylist and they're sort of like opening up to them about, hey, I've been bullied at school because of my style. And the stylist is able to like give them tips and kind of encourage them that you're fine as you are. And so she said that part of it is really, really great. But at the same time, it's hard because there's this whole new influx of customers. They're maybe using their parents' credit cards to reserve a spot, you know, and then canceling at the last minute because their parents didn't know about it. So they've had to institute cancellation policies, a lot of customer education to say, hey, you know, I can't transform your hair from like pitch black to this neon green in one session. That's going to take a long time and it's going to be expensive. And so that sort of part of it has been a challenge for businesses too. You know, how do you communicate with customers and educate them on what they can expect? Because that's sort of another conundrum that these businesses are faced with is if you want to keep these customers that come in off a one-time TikTok video, you have to make them happy. So there's a lot of pressure these business owners are under. Right. To like make something showy and fantastic for TikTok, but also manage some expectations, right? Yeah, exactly. And then what about retailers? I mean, I'm thinking about all the supply chain issues that we're facing right now. Are retailers running into, I mean, the first thing I think of is having a viral video over a product and then having trouble getting that product. Have you seen any of that happening locally? Yeah, that was a big question that I had as well. I reached out to Ferrara, which makes nerds and other candy and talked to them about this. And because that was a big question that I had, and they have seven different brands on TikTok. And they said that they hadn't actually seen any issues along those lines and that supply chain issues are a problem across the board. Ferrara told me that it's hard to attribute any sales bump to one specific marketing channel because they have so many. So um, if they have a TikTok video do really well, they've had one get 4.2 million views, for example, which is a ton. And I'm so shocked by the way these videos can take off on TikTok. But some of the smaller businesses, it's a lot easier to notice because they don't have such a big marketing budget. There was one guy I talked to who runs an account called Best Date Night and started on Instagram, went over to TikTok. He recently quit his full-time job to do this account full-time. And he was saying that he has to work with restaurants and things to manage expectations and say, hey, just because one video I did got a million views doesn't mean another one will. So you see that kind of going on with some of these businesses that are on TikTok. I haven't heard any specific examples of companies that have said it's driven supply issues, but that is a, a problem affecting almost every industry right now. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was a thing. You know, there's also, the empty shelf phenomenon, um, I'm not sure if that's really a supply chain problem, but that definitely has happened with the long lines out the door, you know, things selling out, people coming back again and again. Just in the course of reporting this story, as I've talked to people for other things along the way and mentioned it, everybody has a story about that, you know, going to get something from the store that they saw on TikTok and then it's out. So it's, it's really, it's an interesting phenomenon. And then what about the other direction? I'm thinking about, you know, there's a lot of very influential people that are on Instagram and and TikTok. What about when these influencers maybe interact with a brand or repost a brand or maybe are going to that restaurant or something like that? What what does that do for the for the business operator? Yeah, so the business operator definitely wants to work with those people from what I've heard. They want to set up a time I talked to JoJo's Shake Bar, which has two locations, one's in River North and one's in Water Tower Place, and they have a pretty big presence on TikTok. They've got those big over-the-top milkshakes 
that first were very Instagrammable and I think now are very TikTokable. But, you know, he was telling me that the main problem he has with the platform is when one of those influencers comes in without letting them know. And then it's kind of a whole big hubbub, you know, they're trying to make a video in there. Guests might be uncomfortable. So they typically try to just work with them. They'll invite them in themselves to kind of get a jump on it, put them in a part of the restaurant that doesn't have a ton of people in it or have them come in before operating hours because it's a busy restaurant most of the time. So just try not to interrupt workflow there. One uh, person that I spoke with, the best date night operator was telling me that he does a mix of both where he will sometimes just happen upon a, you know, a cool restaurant that he didn't know existed and he'll post about it. And he said that that has driven a ton of lines to places, whether it's, you know, boba tea places, donut places, that sort of thing. And he said afterwards, he'll contact the business owner and be like, Hey, FYI, I posted about this and I have a ton of followers. So be prepared for a huge influx of customers. He said people are usually appreciative, but he tries to give them a heads up because there've been so many times that it has caused sellouts. So it's kind of, yeah, it's fascinating to see. Yeah, I'm sure. I think that's so interesting. Just the, the idea of influencer, that that's a job. And I, that's so interesting to me. I, I suppose that's the dream. I mean, that's the highlight reel. But <laughs> if someone, you know, wants to pay you to go around the world and eat delicious things, I mean, who would say no to that? Exactly. And then what about other uses? You know, obviously it's driving sales or getting people into the restaurants. Are people using that maybe for more of like a B2B purpose or or, you know, recruiting purposes or something like that? Yeah, they are. They're starting to do that now. You know, I sat in on a virtual offering that TikTok gave to small businesses and kind of trying to teach them how to use it. They brought a few businesses in that were already on the platform to give their tips and tricks. And um, World Business Chicago, uh, which is, you know, an arm of the city, they were there and they were kind of promoting small businesses to get on there saying, hey, We know you guys were hurt last year during the pandemic. This is a great way to get new customers because there's a whole new customer base on TikTok that isn't on Instagram, that isn't on Facebook, that sort of thing. So you see that going on. But also some of these businesses are starting to use it as a recruiting tool, which is a big deal right now in the tight labor market that most industries are experiencing. I think it'll be interesting to see if we can think back to the early days of Instagram, for example, how it started, how there wasn't a lot of advertising on there, and then how that sort of changed over time. I think it'll be interesting to watch a similar transformation happen on TikTok. But it's also important to think about what sets TikTok apart from the other social media platforms. Part of it is the algorithm. You know, there's kind of like a landing page that users have. It's called the For You page. And, you know, the more videos you watch, the more TikTok learns about what you like to see and watch. And it'll feed those videos into your For You page. And that is sort of the difference right there, right? Everybody knows about social media algorithms and and how important those are, you know, to sort of game the algorithms and everything. But with TikTok, it doesn't matter how many followers you have. They're going to feed it and the algorithm's going to read your interest as opposed to, you know, hey, here's a business that has 10,000 followers versus one that only has 10 followers. So that kind of levels the playing field for these small businesses. That's so interesting. So through the course of reporting this story, did you find yourself using or consuming TikTok differently? Uh, Yeah. So I was never that big on TikTok. And part of the reason is because before I came to this job, I was the tech reporter at the Chicago Tribune. And I did a lot of stories about data privacy right when TikTok was coming out. 
and you know how it wasn't great for that. And if you thought Facebook was bad, TikTok was even worse, you know. Right. Um, <laughs> right. And so I had never downloaded it. And even last year during the pandemic, I watched a lot of videos that friends and people would send me that were on the platform. So I downloaded it for the story and started poking around. And it's really interesting to see how different people use it and kind of all, all the fun stuff that's on there. I think there's a couple of reporters that use it kind of in interesting ways. There's one guy that will sort of make a face and say, you know, when your editor chops your story up or when he's like making this one face or putting a song to it. And he's kind of using it as like behind the scenes in the newsroom. That's kind of funny. So, yeah, I definitely haven't made any of my own videos yet. I think it would be interesting because it seems so time consuming. You know, when you watch some of these, like how much time did these people spend making that? But there's so many people that do it so frequently it must not be as complicated as it looks. Yeah, must not be. Well, a new frontier indeed. All right. Well, thanks so much, Allie. Appreciate your time. Yes, thank you. Coming up, Wells Fargo Bank gives $8.5 million to South and West Side small business recovery. We'll talk about that and more right after this. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. The Fulton Market District may be getting a new metro station to go along with its fast-growing number of corporate headquarters and other business outposts. Crane's political columnist Greg Hines reports that Metra and city officials have scheduled a virtual meeting for mid-October to talk about opening a new station that would be available to the 80,000 riders a day who commute on Metra's west, northwest, and southwest lines. He also reports that exactly where the new station would go isn't yet clear, but sources told him it would likely be near Ashland Avenue. The station being proposed by the city is part of a much larger project pushed by Metra to build a bridge or flyover at roughly Western Avenue, allowing some trains on some lines to pass over others, avoiding congestion. A spokesperson for Metra said that any actual station opening could be a decade away as officials finalize decisions, design the project, and seek out federal funding. But it's not yet clear whether the station project could be done separately from the overall project and proceed at a quicker pace, he said. In any event, the virtual meeting will be held at 6 p.m. on October 12th and is being sponsored by the Chicago Department of Planning and Development, Metra, and the local alderman, Walter Burnett of the 27th Ward. Southwest Airlines' next CEO, Bob Jordan, said the airline is iffy about sharing no-fly lists with other airlines, as recently encouraged by Delta Airlines to protect flight crews from unruly passengers. While the FAA reports an astronomical increase in incidents with violent, threatening, or disruptive passengers to the tune of over 4,300 cases where generally in the given year, the agency said it's more like 100 to 150 incidents, recent internal data showed that incidents involving disruptive customers Customers were down nearly 50% over the last two weeks, Jordan said. The reasons for the drop are unclear, although he speculated that factors include that flights contain fewer passengers following the peak summer travel season and crews have grown more skilled at de-escalating tense situations. Jordan will follow Gary Kelly as Southwest CEO starting in February. Natural gas prices are at their highest levels since the winter of 2008 into 2009, double what they were last winter. 
Area gas utilities project that heating bills from November through March will be 35 to 50 percent higher than last season. For the average Chicago household, assuming normal winter weather, a five-month heating bill will be around 35 percent higher per month on average, according to a Crane's analysis using data from People's Gas combined with gas price futures. And that increase is expected to be even higher in the suburbs. NICOR Gas projects that a five-month heating bill for the average suburban household will be up 48 percent from last season. And as Crane's reporter Steve Daniels writes, these bills may come as a shock to residents, but this situation has been years in the making with no shortage of warnings. Peoples and NICOR both are charging far more than they used to for delivering the fuel to homes and businesses due to unprecedented infrastructure spending, which they recover from ratepayers and on which they profit. Also, historically low gas prices over the last several years have helped blunt the financial impact for ratepayers. But as Daniels points out, rock-bottom commodity prices don't stay that way forever. Now the companies and regulators must prepare for an affordability crisis, particularly in the city. Wells Fargo Bank gave $8.5 million in grants this month to five Chicago nonprofits and community development organizations focused on supporting businesses owned by women and people of color. The grants are from the bank's $420 million Open for Business Fund, which the bank has been distributing nationally. To date, California-based Wells Fargo, which has a large presence in Chicago, says it's helped about 124,000 small businesses keep an estimated 226,000 jobs. Katherine Davis is reporting the story in detail for Cranes. I talked to a couple grant recipients around town to find out how they were putting this Wells Fargo funding to work. One of those organizations is called Allies for Community Business. They received a $2 million grant from Wells Fargo. They're an organization that provides loans and grants and other services to businesses across Illinois and Indiana. They focus specifically on businesses owned by Black, Latino, female, and low-income entrepreneurs. I talked to Brad McConnell, the CEO for Allies for Community Business, and he told me that the funding from Wells Fargo is allowing them to provide lower interest loans to uh, the businesses they work with. So generally, average interest rates are about 9%, but with the new funding, they're able to provide 3% interest rates for the rest of 2021. A spokesperson told Cranes that last year the organization lent about $400 million to over 22,000 community businesses and will lend about $325 million by the end of 2021. Are you or do you know a high-performing mid-to-senior-level leader looking to enhance your leadership acumen in new ways? If so, then Cranes Academy is for you. You'll break out of your routine, exchange insights with thought leaders, and discover innovative ways to impact positive results immediately. Fall virtual sessions start on September 29th. Visit cranesacademy.com today to learn more and apply or nominate. And that's Crane's Daily just for now. Check out our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to my guest today, Crane's reporter, Ali Marathi. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. You can also find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.